Hi, this is Elizabeth, and I've listened to every single episode of the When Dating Hurts podcast. I have not been in an abusive relationship myself, but I've had friends who have, and it's good to know the signs early to get out early. Bill, thank you for all that you do. The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know. And that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed and stay safe. Thank you for your support. If you recall in our previous episode... Jen, whose friend is currently serving time in prison for accidentally hitting a man and killing him in her car, Jen asked me to continue our interview. This is part one of that interview. At the start, Jen will be discussing the guilt we might feel if we do not, as friends or parents, know the warning signs of an unhealthy or an abusive relationship. Here is Jen. I think you said something like, I'm going to, I'm going to speak for you because this is what I want you to hear me say. Like, I think you said, I don't feel guilty because I didn't know it was going on. And it keeps resonating because like what I wanted to say with what you said a few minutes ago is you didn't know what you didn't know. You cannot hold yourself. And I know you don't hold yourself responsible because it's all of our journey. We cannot recognize what's going on until we do. And I swear, like, I hope you will not have of all the terrible feelings, the guilt, because it's almost like you literally were blind. And how are you supposed to see? You, you don't have the information. I'm sorry, I'm getting upset. It's like something happened while you were asleep. Can't know everything. And that's why I heard you also say, um, oh, I was listening to you being interviewed and you said that you couldn't understand why the police wanted to speak with you. And it couldn't, it couldn't even compute that it would be about her. I totally discounted it. Okay, so I was contacted by police. They wanted to meet me. They wanted to meet me at the front door. No one was here at the house at that time. I was driving from seeing my parents, and my wife and son were at someone else's houses for a high school graduation party. So I get this call, and it's like they uh, they want to meet with me. They want to tell me something. And, of course, the first thing you say is, well, what is it? Go ahead and tell me. And they said, no, well, you have to do it in person. I know how this can sound, but I, I usually send it up this way is, if I said that I went to the hospital and I was speaking with a nurse, what picture do you have? And I'm talking with a woman, right? But I got this phone call driving along and it's raining and the wipers are going. This woman on the end of the line says she's a detective. And I just hadn't thought of, oh, really? You're a detective? I didn't say that to her, but I just I wasn't prepared for a call from police, nor a detective, and then not a female detective. None of it lined up. And I'm thinking, right. what the hell happened? So I'm thinking they thought I did something and they're trying to catch up with me. 
I didn't think it was it had anything to do with my family except maybe me. I thought maybe something happened on our street that day and that they're looking for witnesses or did you hear gunshots or I don't know. You know, I mean, we live in a nice area. So I didn't put it together. And when I first spoke with my wife, called her at that party and she said, does it have to do with Kristen? And I said, why would local police be calling me about something that would have happened 125 miles from here? Of course, it's not about Kristen. But she knew. Yeah, she knew. Somehow yeah. she knew. And I, I put all that in my book. Yeah. And that's how, that's where the story basically starts is the night that I got the call. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say this, you know, for people listening to the podcast, paying attention, let's hope, and getting a sense of the warning signs and things like that. Now you know what I didn't know. So tag, you're it. Because we keep talking about warning signs. We keep talking about how relationships can get going in a nice way. And then you start getting these feelings of that was uncomfortable. That was odd. That was creepy. It seems like this person is wanting to do too much too fast. I've known you for a week. You tell me you love me. That doesn't usually add up. And everything's all speeded up and weird. And what we're saying here is that when those things are happening, now you know, unlike anything I knew, but now you know when these things are speeded up, that those are warning signs, even the speed up part. You might be hearing what you always wanted to hear from a person who looks like the embodiment of who you want to hear it from. But we're saying apply the brakes a little bit because that's not the way it really should be. It should be slow and steady and nice and comfortable. And if you feel pinchy about the relationship that you might want to think about it for a minute or talk with your friends about it or say, I don't understand why you keep doing this one thing and see how the answer goes. But so many people just look past it. And I hear it on practically every interview I do that they just discount what they see with their own two eyes or two ears. Well, let me give listeners hope. I'm practicing in real time the advice that you just gave, and we all can do better, and I'm doing better for the first time at age 51. I'm asking questions. I should tattoo on my arm, slow and steady wins the race. I've got my my dad, my close friends listening. They're paying attention, and they're giving me feedback. Anyway, I'm, I'll stop right there. We're all kind of kids learning, you know? I spoke with a guy. He's a retired detective lieutenant out of Nashville area. This guy went through it as a kid with this stepfather. So Mark is living at home with his mother, who's been either dating or married to this stepfather character for 10 years. And their house sounds like it's one step away from being a shack. I mean, it was pretty down and out. The guy was an alcoholic and serial abuser. They'd been through so much. I mean, he'd been beat up and his brother had been beat up. I mean, like really beat up to the point where, you you know, you got to crawl back to your bedroom. So was the mother. On this one occasion, Mark's in the other room and the, and the stepfather comes in. There's an argument, just another argument. Mark had so many coping behaviors going on. He just instinctively knew how to walk around the house and what to do it. Ten years is a lot of education. But he hears this sound coming from this other room in the kitchen, and he hears this loud noise, which to this day he's not sure what it was, if it was the sound of his stepfather hitting his mother or the sound of his mother hitting the floor, probably the latter. He stealthily came up to the doorway and looked in and saw his mother laying on the floor near the refrigerator. 
And he knew not to come popping into the room saying, oh, my God, what happened? Because the stepfather's right in there. Stepfather walks over, steps over her like he's stepping over a sleeping dog and opens up the refrigerator and takes out a beer, pops it, shuts the door, steps over her again and walks outside. You know, kind of like she'll get over it. She always does. So Mark picks his moment, goes over. He gets a couple pieces of cloth or whatever he could find, runs some water on it, checks to see if mom's alive. As it turns out she is. She starts to get up. He cleans her up. She's a mess. I mean, she just, he finally gets her a little bit put together. The other guy's outside somewhere. And he's talking with her. And, you know, it's another bad day at home with, with the stepfather. At some point, she walks over to a drawer and opens it up and pulls out a big knife. She's going to finally put this guy away. Mark goes over and intercepts her, takes the knife away and says, Mom, you just can't do that because he's picturing Mom will kill him and then Mom's gone, prison, everything. So Mark, around that time of being around 15, was played a lot of Little League ball and had his glove in his hat and his baseball bat in his room. And Mom went into his room and got that bat when Mark wasn't looking. She went outside and swung for the fences on this guy's head. Didn't kill him, but fractured his skull, knocked him out, of course. Later that day, they all wind up at the police station, and they let Mom get out of there. The guy was locked up for a short while, not because of domestic abuse, because of public intoxication. That's about as far as they took domestic violence in the early 1960s. So Mom got home, and I don't know how many cars they had, but they got in one of them threw everything they could quickly into the car and blasted off, and they never saw that guy again. So years later, after doing a couple odd jobs here and there, Mark got on a police force. And that guy, I'd have to say, I'm sure there are other people who have as much knowledge over the years of him being a street cop and homicide cop, detective, all the way up. This guy has traveled the world giving speeches. So many thoughts come to mind. I mean, I just, this is, this is to me again, the whole point. If this material that you just presented goes into the podcast and people are listening to our dialogue, our banter, the way we're speaking to each other, I want you to hear, I'm actually wanting to smile that my son never has had to endure what he had. I say, I'm so glad he didn't have to spend one more day waiting for the next time his mother would be pushed and then fall down. Why do women behave the way they do? Why do they have high anxiety? Why do they exhibit PTSD symptoms? To be able to recognize what's really going on, she's not crazy, and there's a reason she doesn't leave. It's, it's very valuable to be able to help. Now that I have the knowledge, I can help my friend, help her friend. We can help a lot of people because once we can see what it is, we can educate. At this point in our conversation, Jen and I returned to talking about her good friend, Mary, who remains in prison for running into and killing a man in her car. But what about her husband, whose campaign of abuse pushed her to self-medicate? In this case, I mean intoxicate herself. Here is our conversation. Jen wanted to get back with me. We had a great conversation in the last episode we put together. As often happens, afterwards, Jen thought of all these things she wished that she had thought of or things that she wished she had brought notes to. 
and would have expressed. And she has asked to come back, of course. We want her back, and she's got her notes. And Jen is one of those people that you wind her up and let her go and listen to her pour forth everything that she's got on the subject. And so we're just very fortunate. Right, Jen? Well, thank you. Thank you for the introduction, the reintroduction. I appreciate it. And boy, am I prepared. My goodness. I'm going to speak in Mary's voice because I have her voice. Actual words, right? Actual words. Yes. Multiple upon multiple pages. So we should probably remind everybody, and I'll do a little bit, but you can fill it in a little bit more, but currently Mary is in prison. Yes. That mm-hmm. has to do with a night where she was inebriated, and it could be debated to the end of the time how she got into that condition and was in that condition for years. I mean, it was a, purely a self-medication situation. It wasn't that she wanted to grow up and be an alcoholic, but it was one way to deal with her husband. So unfortunately, one night, after his encouragement, she got in her car and was driving and ran over what she thought was debris and then also had an accident after that with other cars. The debris happened to be a man riding a bicycle who was a well-known, well-liked, prominent doctor, physician in town. Of course, she was stopped by the car accident and then when they put the pieces together, realized that she had run over someone and she's now doing time, unfortunately, in a state prison couldn't be more perfect or accurate with that. How long did she get? Was it 15 years? Was that right? 15 years is the sentence, yes. And where is she now? Is she five years into it or so? In real time or actual time, we're coming upon two years, but more time is considered to have been served because of the way the prison system works. Not much, but some. When I look at the website reflecting her name, the prison system says projected release date is... uh, somewhere around four years from now, because of that time, because of the time served. And the way that happens is when you're taking classes and doing all the right things, I believe that's how time is sped up. Her good behavior and her participation is making a difference in reducing the physical time it would have been had she just been not trying as hard. Correct. Or participating in the nefarious behavior many or most of her peers are participating in. The reason why I wanted to come back to you is because I had my own question to answer much more clearly. What led up to that day? If the entire point here is this is a cautionary tale of what happens when we don't extricate early from intimate partner violence, abuse, domestic violence, dating violence, narcissistic abuse, all of it. When we don't extricate, when we will not recognize and are incapable of pulling ourselves out, this is what happens. So I'm going to answer the question now, what led up to that day in great detail with her words? Oh, that's great. Thank you. This is, this is a font of great information. You know, it's one thing to talk about in general terms, abused wife, self-medicated, is intoxicated, has an accident unfortunately, didn't just run into a couple of trash cans or garbage cans along the road, unfortunately hit a prominent person. Not that that makes it greater value than just nobody, but still ran over someone, killed someone, didn't have any intention of ever doing anything like that in her entire life. But to kind of stop time and go back and let's examine the clock ticking up to getting into that car and going. Let's hear it. 
Thank you. You talk about him, the victim. I'll just conclude that sentence here by saying he is or was a wonderful man. I'll repeat what I probably said before on a prior episode that he saved his wife's life, who is also a doctor. He operated on her when she was suffering through breast cancer. He saved her life. He was saving lives. My friend, Mary, didn't want to remove this person off the planet. She has so much remorse. I have words and dates that I wanted to reflect what led up to this. And there's, there's reasons why I'm speaking this way, because there is a reason all this happened, sadly. So Mary participated in rehabilitation in October of 2017. She was hospitalized for 30 days and completed that rehabilitation. So if you think about the timeline of November 2017, what happened between that date leading up to February 4th of 2019? What led up to it? Well, after completing that rehab, knowing she was trying, there were moments she was really trying to stop self-medicating, skipping through the next 12, 13 months, what happened in that period of time? She and I spoke the other day and she gave me these points. He would advocate for her to drink in his presence. He would become her drinking buddy and say, it's okay to drink with me. It's all going to be okay as long as you just drink with me. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what I understand. So her sobriety didn't last long. He enabled, her abuser enabled a deep dive back into self-medication, a vortex or a tornado of an inability to pull herself out. One other thing that I'm aware of also during that time, that was when either the primary sex trafficking took place or all of it took place in that period of time. Reference that general one-year period of time between the rehab stint and then there was one more rehab stint before the accident. In walking us through this, you mentioned sex trafficking in the other episode. You mentioned again, and that's a that's a big deal there. I mean, that's a that's I mean, I can't even. That's one my imagination never would have gotten me to. And I understand how it is when you have a teen or someone in her twenties whose family situation is falling apart, and this person winds up with the wrong people who lure her in. And before you know it, she is becoming a prostitute. They were encouraging it. You know, they kind of groom these people and turn them into sex-trafficked individuals. Here we are in this case, living in a very nice neighborhood with this man who is destroying her ability to get herself out of her drinking issue by giving her a little caveat. Like, it's okay. If you drink with me, that's no big deal. It's inside four walls of this house. How do we get to sex trafficking? How does that make its way in. So in that uh, 12 to 13 month period of time between the rehab stays that then led up to the accident, what she told me is that he would not only enable her drinking, becoming acutely intoxicated, she's highly suspicious that substances were put in her beverages. And then she was transported by him to locations where He introduced her to people, and then I'm going to speak slowly here because this is daunting. I don't know if I mentioned this before. No. These people, I don't know if it was one, two, three, 20, he named them as witnesses in 
his divorce list. So if you can get your mind into the thought process of a sociopath who, from my point of view, is self-sabotaging himself because she wanted to go to trial. During the divorce, she wanted to go to trial. She's been trying to speak. This is me speaking for her because he was doing all of these things and then his mind allowed him to put these people on his witness list and she just wanted them to testify. At some point, I believe she said in this last week to me that someone deposed one of these individuals and asked that person, did she want it? And he said, no, or I don't think so. So I'm going to pause right there and ask if you have any questions. I do. In effect, he's setting her up with sex partners that he not only, I'm sure part of that is just to degrade her, right? I mean, that's just another deeper level of degradation. But then somewhere along the line, he wants to turn, he wants to be able to show what a piece of trash she was because of what she was doing with these people. Am I catching on? Absolutely. Humiliation, everything you can do to hold a person down physically, emotionally. And if people don't understand why women don't leave, that's one of 4 million reasons she didn't leave. That just really blows my mind. I'm sitting here taking notes because it's very overwhelming to me in my advocacy work for her, why nobody is looking at him and bringing him up on charges for sex trafficking, domestic violence, a DUI for driving his son after he'd been drinking. I don't know how much he'd been drinking. I'm not going to accuse him of a DUI. I'm just asking, why aren't people asking? Why aren't people interviewing? Why am I one of the only people asking these questions? And Bill, I will tell you, I'm very thankful there is a possibility. I think I did mention this before. I think there's a possibility that a reporter is going to take my story and start asking questions. I'm trying to get the ball rolling. I want to ask the questions. It is not my place to make accusations. I have questions. I I mentioned the first rehab, then there's sex trafficking. A little over one month before the accident, on December 27th of 2018, she puts in her notes that Jude filed for divorce. So remember that date, December 27th. She didn't know. She didn't find out until she came back from this hospitalization for rehab. So he was in the process of divorcing her and not telling her, setting her up for failure. There was no way out. This was a train that was going to keep moving down the track no matter what no matter what she did, because he won't stop. When someone's down, I assume she was down because she was going to rehab for drinking. And I believe he took it upon himself just to keep kicking her when she was down. Did he have every right to divorce? Maybe everybody has a right to divorce. Why would a human do this at this time, that specific time, he physically filed for divorce on December 27th? Her timeline is such that on December 28th, the next day, she was supposed to leave for rehab. I'm going to fast forward to explain. She did not leave for two more days. Why? What was going on? What was leading up to the accident that caused the death of this nice man? She was afraid to leave her house, leave her kids in the care of Jude. She didn't want to leave because he was beating her Mm continuously leading up to when he forced her to go to rehab and wouldn't take her to rehab. 
So he would not drive her. I guess it was about an hour and a half away. He would not let her drive. And maybe that's a questionable question. You know, could she drive? I don't know if she was drinking or not, but there is evidence that she wasn't because she checked into rehab on December 30th, which is a little over a month before the fatality. And when she checked in, she didn't need any um, detox, nothing in her system, but some benign medication, which I don't know if I have, I think I have this information here in, my, in the papers. She didn't have alcohol in her system. She could have driven. She asked permission from her husband at the time. Could she drive herself to rehab and the power and control, the sociopath, my accusation is that he's a sociopath, said no. She did not have the ability or the freedom to drive her own car. He would not drive her. He, she had to humiliatingly call her brother, who was in a different direction, another hour and a half in the other direction, to come pick her up. There's a point I'm going to get to later that's important. This is the younger brother. I'm going to talk about her older brother in a little bit. But her younger, the younger brother came in from out of town, probably inconvenienced because his brother-in-law would not take her. So just a key point that through all of this, she's been very afraid for her boy's safety, rightly so. For many reasons, she was beaten in front of her boys. She was demeaned in front of her boys for their entire lives. Then they were brainwashed to uh, not have a relationship with, with her, which continues to this day. She did check in on December 30th. She got some great skills. She, she writes in this, I'll call it a bit of a diary, great coping skills. The reason that's important is because when she came home on Monday, January 28th of 2019, when she came home, she expresses that she utilized these coping skills when having to interact with her husband at the time. When her brother picked her up from rehab and brought her home, because once again, her husband of 20 plus years would not come get her. He would not enable her good path in life. Do you have a sense of how much her brother knew besides he drove her there, dropped her off, picked her up? I think he knew everything. He didn't step forward there for and say, hey, Mary, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to help you. I don't know. Yeah. I want to go back to a couple of key points. Mm -hmm. Okay. So about when she checked in to the rehab facility, her blood work came out great. The only deficiency was a potassium deficiency. Okay. So anybody in the medical profession may understand what I'm saying here is obviously she needed to go to rehab at some point. I have a question. I haven't had this answered. Was she forced to go to rehab for punitive reasons to humiliate her at this particular time by the sociopath? I just have that question because when she checked in, if she was acutely alcoholic, if she was suffering from alcoholism, I don't know how the disease works. This is a good question to ask when following the story. With someone who has acute alcoholism, if she stopped drinking one day, two days, three weeks prior what would the blood work have shown? Now, I'm trying to remember in my expertise and what I've learned, I think a lot of things can be expunged from the system after 48 hours or something. I just think something would have come up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would expect that. I don't want to question, should she have gone to rehab? Because look at the end result. So these coping skills came in handy when she walked back in the house, January 28th of 2019. She notes that she arrived home at 8.30 p.m., it was very cold in the house. She wrote some notes that her boys were there. 
She got to spend time with her boys. She was not allowed back into the master bedroom, her master bedroom. She was told by her husband at the time, she would now have to start staying in the guest room. So another point of humiliation in front of her children, perhaps being treated like a subhuman, coming back from what might've been a pat on the back for completing rehab, having to have missed Christmas with her children who she mothered full-time through their years. At that point, I think they were 12 and 14. So this is abominable and hard to talk about. She reflects that the day before she came home, she was definitely ready to leave and very anxious. She had no little, no or little contact with Jude. And what she did have was not very positive. During one conversation a few weeks prior with him, I was discussing when I would come home. He then expressed he did not want me to move home. He said that it would be better if I were gone. He tried contacting me once, but she did not have her cell phone because she was in class. She tried to call him back, but it went to voicemail. She was very anxious as she could not tell what he was thinking or doing. She wanted to leave treatment earlier, but had to stay so the insurance would pay for the treatment. She wanted to leave because she could tell something was not right about his behavior. Okay, so I go to when she walks in the house. Jude allowed them to come in, she and her brother. Everyone could say hello, and that was about it, until Jude retreated to the master. Her brother and she visited with her children. The next day, the 29th of January of 2019, she woke up and began to get a cup of coffee when Jude started in telling me he wishes I did not come home and was ready for her to leave. He then informed me of the upcoming divorce date on Friday. So she was surprised. This is a few hours after she comes home from rehab. Welcome home. We're getting a divorce and it'll be in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. What I'm aware of is in questioning by legal professionals, someone on the other side asked her, why did you relapse so quickly? Well, when you're married to a sociopath and you have complex PTSD and are self-medicating to survive every day, don't know what to do, don't know how to ask for help, trying to mother the best way you can, why did you relapse so quickly? Well, he gave her information about divorce that she had no idea was actually coming and did come in real time because he threatened divorce their entire marriage. She didn't know up from down. She did not know when or if he would ever follow through on the threat. He would say things like, I'm going to take the children. You have nothing. You are nothing. You're not educated. You have no money. This is my house, my money. So basically threatening her their entire marriage. So she did not know until this day. With all those threats now, it's actually becoming real and there's a deadline coming up. Yes. She says a few hours later, I was very surprised and said, what are you talking about? Upon which he stated that she had a court date. She had no idea until that moment. She asked if she could leave. She wanted to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Jude said that Mary would have to wait because Jude needed to get her keys to her car. As she was waiting, she heard him making a call and he asked the other person if they were close because Mary was trying to leave. The other person on the phone must have notified that they were close. What Mary believes is that was the woman that moved in moments after he put her in the car the day of the accident. This is the woman who he, as I understand it, 
dated, allowed into the home with her children, unbeknownst to her, and then is my understanding that she was abused, she may also have a protective order on him. So this is who Mary is referencing. On that day that Mary's trying to get out and I guess go to an AA meeting, a sociopath, I'm going to use that term because I, I'm not a clinician, but I think it applies. A sociopath is uh, allowing, it looks like he allowed this, this woman to come into their home before they had even really started divorce proceedings. And I'm going to assume the kids are around somewhere here. Minutes later, the doorbell rang and a gentleman served me papers regarding the divorce as well as a temporary restraining order. So he was trying to kick her out of the house. So he's got a restraining order on her. Mm-hmm. Yes. He, um, in real time, trying to kick her out of the house. Mary sat down to read the papers and asked Jude, why so fast? He said, Mary, you knew this was coming. Mary began to look up attorneys and left the house. In a minute, I'll move on from her words to say a few other things. So the next day, Wednesday, January 30th of 2019, her words here, more arguing today, and I made an appointment to see the lawyer. I met with her for a free consultation and she informed me I had a very uphill battle and it did not look well for me in so many words. I sat in my car and contemplated. I had no money, little encouragement. I felt like Jude had the upper hand and carefully planned the entire proceedings. Jen, you said that she had no money. I'm sure there was plenty of money. She just had no access to it. Correct. That came out in uh, testimony later. They were well-to-do, right? Very. And he is still. And she has nothing but uh, two blue boxes that are in my garage of all of her possessions in the entire world. This ends this part of my conversation with Jen about her friend Mary. Be looking for the next and final part on the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.